Hey, I am seriously honored to be here. I have heard about this church forever, and uh, just to be able to be here and to just hang out with you guys has been great. Also, I want to say I have tremendous respect for Dan, and uh, I do go way back with him. I was a, uh, I taught at a college that he attended, and uh, watching him lead students into ministry and then watching as he's gone through his life, um, we, helped plant, we helped him plant a church in the Phoenix area. And uh, then, you know, as he's come up here and just watching the trajectory of his life, I'm incredibly proud of him. And also Jay, who was the guy that was just up here, if, you're, if you don't know Jay, Jay, I knew him when he was in high school, and I was really good friends with his youth pastor, and then as the years went by, Jay and I became really good friends, and uh, he actually worked on my staff uh, at the church I lead in Arizona uh, before he came up here. And uh, I, I just got to tell you, uh, it's just fun to watch you guys. I do want to say this. So people have said to me since I've been up here, you and Jay look a lot alike. I, I just want to point out, I'm the original. <laughs> just, just so we're really clear, okay? Uh, he's copying me. I'm not copying him. Just now we got it. Now, like I said, my name is Cal. I pastor uh, Central Christian Church in the Phoenix area, the East Valley of the Phoenix area primarily. And uh, it, it is, uh, it's really coming from Phoenix, coming up here. It's wonderful to come up to the nice, cool pine country of uh, North, <laughs> North Washington. Uh, you know, it's interesting, though, because people have been talking about how hot it is. Let me, let me, let me tell you what hot is, okay? <laughs> uh, Phoenix has had, and I'm, I don't know this exactly. Don't check. It's in the ballpark. It's had 20-some days uh, over 100 in a row, and then it's had uh, like six or seven to eight days, I think over 119 in a row. Our low the other night was 97 degrees. It is great. I'm jealous of your weather. That's all I can tell you because this is absolutely awesome. Now, let me just explain real quickly. I'm going to move fast because i got a lot to cover. But I want to tell you about this assignment that I was given. So about a year ago, I got a call from Dan. And uh, again, longtime friend. And he said, hey, is there any chance you could I get you to come up here to you know, Valley Real Life next summer? And I said, sure. And uh, we started talking about dates. And he you know, picked a date. And he said, how about this date? And I said, that sounds great. I go, I'll block it out. Uh, I'll be there. I have no idea what uh, I'm going to be asked to speak on. It doesn't matter. Uh, so as it gets closer, I know he'll give me an assignment. Now, here's often what happens when you come to a place like this. The, the, the preacher would say, just bring something that you're comfortable with. Bring something you've already preached, something you feel like, you know, it's, it's your passion. It's something you feel like, you know, you got some stories to illustrate. And just, you know, yeah, make it easy, okay? <clears throat> I'm telling you all that to tell you this. So about a month ago, uh, my wife and I are sitting on an airplane. We're heading to Scotland for our vacation. And I get a text from Dan, and he says, hey, this is the text I want you to speak to my church on. And I read this text, and my heart sank because it's 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now, you might not have any idea what's in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 at this moment, but in a few moments, you're going to know. And my heart sank because I went, I thought you were my friend. <laughs> I can't believe that you're going to ask me to cover this. Uh, there are so many reasons why I'm apprehensive to talk about what we're going to talk about today. But I just need you to understand there's two incredibly divisive subjects in our culture right now, sex and politics, and we got it all. Okay? So there's like very little chance I can cover this passage without upsetting some people. I just need you to know that. It's just one of those texts. And, and, and then I found out that Dan isn't even going to be here. <laughs> what a coward! I'm going to raise all kinds of issues, and then I'm getting on an airplane, and I'm going back to Phoenix where it's nice and cool, and you guys can wrestle with this with your pastoral staff, because I'm telling you, buckle up, because this one is absolutely loaded. I, I do got to say one other thought before I get started. 
<clears throat> you know, I don't know about you, about how, you know, how, what your emotions are about talking about sex, because this is talking about sex. It's kind of awkward to go into a church and talk about sex, but I got to do that because that's the assignment. But then I listened to all the sermons in this series, and I discovered something about you all. You talk about sex a lot in this church. <laughs> and even last week, I cannot get naked out of my mind. I cannot. And I'm like, hey, this is no big deal because this is like second nature to y'all. So anyway, um, I, I do hope to uh, bring the word and challenge you. And, and you, I did say I listened to all the sermons. You guys have fantastic teachers. Dan is a fantastic. Kelly just killed. And then Matt is your guest last week. You guys are blessed. So anyway, you'll really appreciate them when you get done hearing me. So that's really why he brought me in to raise their appreciation of those guys. So anyway, let's do this. We're going to. We're going to wrestle. Uh, we're going to wrestle the subject of uncommon relationships, and uh, so really, what I've been asked to talk about is sex and relationships in the context of First Corinthians chapter seven. And I know by this point in the series, you're, you're tracking with the idea of uncommon. You understand what uncommon is. Uncommon is that which is different, that which is considered strange to an outsider, that which people who don't belong would look at and say, "That thing you do, that's kind of just weird." Uh, that thing that you do, we don't consider that normal. And what we consider normal, you don't. That's what uncommon is. There's a separation. And so we understand that. Now, as Christians, if you've been around this game for any amount of time, you know that how the, the rules are that you're supposed to be different. That, that, we're, we're, that we're not supposed to be like people who don't go to church. Now, this is basic, and I know you should understand this from the beginning, but we sometimes forget this. So that's why there's passages, and let me read just a couple that get you thinking. 1 Peter 2, 9 says, but you are not like that. For you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. In other words, we once were, but now we are no more. I once was, but then I became, and it's the idea that there should be a difference from what I used to be to what I now am. And, and really what we're supposed to be doing in this world is making a difference. And I, I just saw this in the communion slide, but this idea, I know you've processed it, but we make a difference in this world only by being different in this world. See, our lives are to be lives of contrast. Our, our lives are to be lives that create curiosity. Why are you the way? Why do you think that way? Why are we? That is so different than how I learned to think. That's what's supposed to happen. And then I think about this passage, Philippians 2, 15 and 16. So that you may become blameless and pure. Blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. See, it's really simple. We're supposed to think differently. We're supposed to act differently. We're supposed to live differently. Now against that backdrop, let's drop into 1 Corinthians chapter seven. Now, even before I read 1 Corinthians chapter seven, any part of it, I gotta remind you of something you've already been instructed in. I, uh, Dan covered this in the very first week, but you can't understand what's happening here if you don't understand that. So in case you missed it, let me just give you the backdrop of the city of Corinth, all right? Corinth is in Greece. Uh, Corinth is uh, a very, very, uh, it's a beautiful city. Uh, uh, Corinth uh, had the expression, and again, Dan used it, and I think Matt even said, you know, we have the expression, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. What happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. See, Corinth was uh, a lot like Vegas. 
There was a lot, lot of stuff going on. The difference between Corinth and Vegas, though, is when you think of Vegas, if you've ever been to Vegas, Vegas is in the middle of the desert. You have to tolerate the surroundings if, if, if you're going to Vegas, okay? You gotta get past all the heat and all that, okay? Um, you gotta understand, this is Greece. It's surrounded on two sides by uh, different seas, and it's an isthmus, and it's, it's beautiful. It's like if you've ever been to Santorini or Mykonos, it's a Greek isle, it's gorgeous. But because it was surrounded by water, it was a port city where sailors would come and hang out. And it became a place of prostitution and it came, became a place of perversion. And even Kelly a couple of weeks ago talked about the fact that even in the church there was perversion. A man was sleeping with his father's wife. And Paul has, that's in the Bible. Paul has to address that. And, and so you gotta understand that it was a lot like Vegas and it was a lot different than Vegas. But one of the most significant things that was going on in Corinth that has bearing on what we got to talk about was there was a temple to this goddess Aphrodite, which you probably have heard of, you know, you might not understand, the, the Roman goddess Venus, okay? And Aphrodite was the goddess of love and pleasure and procreation and all of that kind of stuff, beauty. And, uh, and, and while today some uh, people question what I'm about to say, history is handed down that there was about five temples in the area to this goddess Aphrodite, a Greek goddess Aphrodite, and that um, they, this is hard to believe, but they actually had like temple prostitutes. So to meet the sailors, they could come and worship God, the goddess, and have sex, and it all got integrated, and there's like a whole group of courtesans who would be available, and it was all kind of part of the deal as to what was going on there. Now, you need to understand that there's always a problem when something like that is in the culture where you're trying to have a church because not only was there a temple to Aphrodite in Corinth, there was also a church, a church like this church, a church that didn't want to be like everybody else, a church that was trying to live differently, that was trying to worship the real God, didn't want to worship a pagan God. But what always happens, and it's happening here, it's happening in my city, the culture starts to lean in on the church. And the culture is constantly trying to make recruits out of the church. I don't know if you know this. See, you see, we're supposed to be reaching out to the culture and, and bringing people into the church, but the culture also wants to bring people out of the church and into their culture. And, and so their ways begin to lean in. And often what the church does is we ought to do the kind of things that they're doing so that we can attract more people. Now, just picture this. If, if worshiping God means you get to have sex when you go to church, that's, you know, hey, that's one way to get more guys. Can I get an Amen. And yet, that's not how it works. Now, let me just explain something that typically happens, all right? The church tends to overreact to the culture pressing in one of two ways. Uh, either go, just go with it. Anything goes. Just go along. Anything goes. Hey, you know what? We live in a culture that, hey, sex is good. God is good. Sex, God, good, all good. Uh, go for it, man. Sex, there's nothing wrong. Anything goes. That's one response. The other response of a church trying to deal with a culture pressing in on it is to go the exact opposite and go, nothing goes. And, and there were people in this church in Corinth going, sex is bad. No sex. And, and even if you're married, no sex. You'll see it in just a moment. No sex, even if you're married. In fact, if you're married, it's so good not to have sex that you should divorce. That's in this chapter, a discussion about that. You start to understand why this is so relevant. And by the way, let me just say this, because this is an important thing. Anything in the culture that you live with that has become common to you, common to you, 
becomes normal to you. The uncommon is never normal. It's always different. So it's so easy for us as a church to just become normal to the culture, where the people in the culture step in and they go, yeah, this feels right. It's never supposed to feel right. It's supposed to be different. It's supposed to create something, all right? So we got that background. Now, against all of that, what you got is the ch- a church in Corinth trying to be a church of God, trying to do it right, and they're so confused. And so they write to the Apostle Paul, and they go, we need some instruction here. We need some guidance. And they fire off all these questions. They write a letter to Paul, and they go, what about this? What about this? What about this? This seventh chapter of 1 Corinthians is Paul's response to all those questions. He's trying to get them, he's like, let's talk about, we'll talk about that, we'll talk about that. So in the seventh chapter of 1 Corinthians, he's going to talk about sex, he's going to talk about marriage, about divorce, about singleness, about virginity, about celibacy, about circumcision, about lust. All of that and more is in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And this is what your pastor asked me to cover. <laughs> this is why I no longer like him. Okay, so here's the deal. I can't cover all that. That's way too much. So I'm going to talk about two kinds of relationships. And the first I want to talk about is marriage, because that's the first thing he's going to talk about. So if you have a Bible, open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to read verses 1 to 7. And again, I encourage you, listen to what is being said. This is not just another Bible verse. This is a bit controversial. This, if you're hearing it, ought to cause some tension in the room. So before I read it, this is my advice. Take your seatbelt, make sure it's fully buckled. Keep your hands in the feet and your feet in the car at all times because there's going to be some sharp turns coming and you can get thrown out of here, like ejected from the car if you're not careful. Hang on because we're going for a wild ride here. Okay, we good? All right, here we go. First Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 to 7. It says this. <clears throat> now regarding the questions you asked in your letter, to make perfect sense. Okay, here we go. Here's the answers. Yes, it is good to live a celibate life. Okay, let's just pause on that. It's good to live a celibate life. But because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless both of you agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterwards, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command, but I wish everyone were single just as I am. But God gives to some the gift of marriage and to others the gift of singleness. Okay, let's pray and we'll wrap it up for the day. Um, Dear God, let's talk about marriage for just a moment. Um, It's it's incredibly amazing. It's amazing to me how incredibly relevant this text is, even all these years later. Let me just say a couple things about marriage. You, You might know this, but marriage in America is on the decline. In the last 50 years, marriage has dropped about 60% of uh, people entering into it. Uh, Marriage has been pushed back in life. Uh, So the average age now is 27 for women, 29 for men. The alternative to getting married but still being in a relationship is cohabitating, and that has gone from uh, socially unacceptable to about seven out of 10 now says cohabitating is perfectly fine. We also know that divorce is uh, rampant. You don't need me to tell you that. It's interesting, though, 
uh, divorce has gone way up and it's actually coming down, but it's still about 40 to 50% of married couples, but it's still higher than it was in the 70s. And so trying to find some equilibrium there. Now here, here's the thing that I wanna point out. Here's the dilemma. Sex has not lost its appeal in our culture. Marriage has. Sex is, fine. Sex, is, sex is popular. I don't know if you know this. Take a note. Remind. Marriage is the issue. What is it about marriage then that's made marriage such a difficult thing? Now, I'm, I'm going to stop here. and I'm going to get really personal with you to tell you I, I, I have no ax to grind. See, often we talk about marriage, we have to come in with some joke. You know, I got to talk about the old ball and chain back home. I don't have a ball and chain back home. I have an incredible woman. Uh, my first wife, Lisa, uh, and I have been married for 45 years. As of yesterday, I spent it up with you up here, just so you know, not with her. Uh, not by choice. I didn't realize that when Dan asked me, but I, I digress. Uh, anyway, uh, she's my first wife. She's my only wife. And I am incredibly blessed to have her in my life. 45 years ago, we, we said we, we, would be, we would do this, okay? We have two children, both of them love Jesus. They married two people who love Jesus. We have eight grain. Here's what I would say to you about my personal view of marriage. I love being married. I'm so glad I got married. I've had an incredible life with an incredible wife. And here's what I can tell you about my wife. My wife has made me better in so many ways. She is truly the wind under the wings kind of a thing. And the way we've learned how it works for us is she is, she is different than I am. I'm, uh, she's softer and I'm not. And she has taken her soft and so uh, like ground off the hard edges of my life. And she would say, I put an edge on her life and we're both better for being married. So I just need you to understand, I, I love being married. I got nothing against marriage and so there's nothing to that in here. But we gotta talk for a minute about why has marriage lost its appeal? That passage will just explain it really easily if you can just read between the lines because he talks about something we don't like the sound of it all as Americans and that's submission. Because that's exactly what he's saying is men submit to your wives, wives submit to your husbands. We go, I, I'm an American, I don't submit to nobody. I don't need to, I, it's all about, and we just don't like the idea. I need to explain something. If you want to have a successful marriage, and I, just take, this is my opinion, you don't have to agree. You've you got to learn the idea of submission. But here's the deal. If you're a Christian, submission should be a non-issue. Here's why. You can't be a Christian if you're not willing to submit your life to Jesus. You can't. In fact, no Lord. You say the word no and you follow it with the word Lord. That is an oxymoron. If you're not going to submit to God, don't call him your Lord. If Jesus is Lord, the answer is yes, whatever, Lord. Meaning I submit. I will obey. I'll follow you wherever you want me to go. Whatever you want me to become, however you want me to do it, I will submit myself to you. Now, here's the deal. I want to say, if I can submit to God, submitting to my wife it ain't no thing. There's nothing to that. And so my wife would say, uh, my wife would say, if she were here, I promise you, she'd say, I submit to his leadership and I submit to his authority. But I would also say, I submit to my wife. You see, my wife has also submitted her life to God and my wife is also very in tune with the spirit of God. And sometimes my wife's voice sounds so much like the Holy Spirit, it's freaky. It's freaky. But because God speaks to her and then she'll talk to me and say, Cal, I don't think this is the way we ought to go. And you know how many times over the 45 years we've been married, I've looked at her and said, that's not God's voice, you're wrong. Absolutely none, zero. And so when I feel like we should do this, but she says, I feel God's telling me, Cal, we should do this, we're gonna do that. 
You, you see, when you submit to God, submitting to each other, it isn't really that big of a deal. So how's it work? How's it work? It works like this. When you're married, you make a commitment to meet the needs of another person. That's what marriage means. I'm gonna, I commit. Your needs become my need. I have a need to meet your needs. And then she reciprocates that. She has a need to meet my needs. And, and here's what I need to explain to you. The only legitimate place my sexual needs can be met, and if you're married, the only legitimate place your sexual needs can be met is through your spouse. Everything outside of that. And, and listen very carefully to what I'm about to say. If Satan wants to destroy your marriage, you know what he's gonna, he's gonna use one of two things, most likely. Now there's others, it's not always. Uh, illegitimate relationship or pornography. And what he's gonna do is he's gonna try to teach you to get your needs met from somebody other than the only legitimate person that God put on the planet to meet your needs, your spouse. Now, I'm not saying if your spouse is involved in pornography or in, in, in an illegitimate relationship, it's your fault, you, you drove them. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is, if we don't submit ourselves to what God's telling us here, we're setting our spouse up to be bullseyed by Satan going, I know a way to get this thing to destroy it. So he says, look, keep your marriage sacred, and if you're not gonna be involved physically, then you do that only for a season and then you pray and then you come back together because Satan wants to destroy you. Now, I wanna say this. I wanna talk about a second set of relationships. We talked about marriage. I wanna talk about something we don't talk about. I wanna talk about singleness. I wanna talk to all the single people here and if you're online, if you're single, I wanna talk to you. And I just wanna, I just wanna, I wanna address something. This is kind of a stigma in our society towards singleness, and I wanna talk about it. Uh, I, you know, why aren't you married, man? When are you gonna get married? What's wrong with you? That, that kind of stuff. It's extremely odd to me that Christians would ever say anything like this, and yet we do. It's extremely odd because I don't know if it's ever like crossed your mind, but the person that we say that we'll follow the rest of our lives, that we'll submit our lives to, he was single, did you know that? We follow a single savior. He never married. You know who his three best friends were? Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. You, 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 know, you, you know that they were single? You know that there's absolutely no record of any dialogue of the four of them sitting around going, man, what's wrong with us? How come nobody finds us attractive? Why can't we get married like everybody else? Because they're not posting TikToks going, give me some clues. They're perfectly content with a non-issue. Who cares? It doesn't matter. Their worth was not tied into their marital status. Now, if that wasn't enough to convince you, the author of this chapter and the author of two-thirds of your Bible is a guy named Paul. You know what he was? Single. He was single. And uh, he had absolutely no problem with it. In fact, let me take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7, the last verse of what we already read. But I wish everyone were single just as I am. But God gives to some the gift of marriage and to others the gift of singleness. You see, Paul considered himself gifted because he was single. And there's some married people in here now who would go, yeah, I agree. Okay? But he never was discontent with his marital status. He, he said, hey, I'm, I'm good. Um, in fact, my singleness is a gift from God. Single people, do you ever hear this? It's a gift from God. Now here's the problem. How many of us have received gifts that we never wanted? And don't, 
you know, be careful because the person who gave that gift might be in the row right there next to you. But, but have you ever wanted to re-gift a gift? Like, this is good, but for somebody else, not for me. Paul never thought of his singleness as anything but a gift. It's a gift from God. I'm so grateful I have this. And why would he say that? Well, number one, I think he knows what every married person knows. Getting married will not solve your problems. Can I get an amen from any married person who agrees? It will not, it will create a whole other set of problems. It won't solve your problems. And, and Paul absolutely knew that. So about half of Americans are single, and yet in the church, there's this kind of a weird thing going on. Um, singles say that one of the places that, and again, if you're single, you can, uh, and I've been visiting with people in the lobby, and they're going, bingo. Ch churches tend to make single people feel well, kind of weird. Uh, single people say one of the greatest places where they get pressured about their singleness is in church. That we're notorious for, like, there's one really good way to live, and that's married, and then they're single. And wh why aren't you with us? And, and churches tend to have marriage conferences and comes to family churches. And so single people can often go to church and feel like, is this for me? Am I welcome here? Is this right? Now, I, I want to say this. I want to say this very sincerely from the bottom of my heart. I think, and I will be the first to offer this, I think the church needs to apologize to single people for what we've made them feel by the way we've treated them. And again, I'll lead, I'll lead the way. I'm just going to tell you, I don't think that's appropriate. What, what does Paul say is so great about being single? Let me, let me show you, okay? It's in 1 Corinthians 7. Look down to verses 32 to 35. He said, I would like for you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affair. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of the world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. What, what, do, what do single people have that married people don't? Freedom. Freedom from concern for the welfare of an immediate family. Freedom to do whatever you feel God's leading you to do. Now, I'm gonna, I'm coming very close to landing. I got something really important. So, regrip your seatbelt, make sure it's nice and tight because I'm gonna take you somewhere that's gonna be hard to go. I'm gonna take you to 1 Corinthians 7, 1. We already read it, but I'm gonna slow it down and make sure we see what he said. Now, regarding the questions you asked in your letter, yes, it is good to be celibate. And here's what I gotta tell you. Single and celibate are not the same thing. M many Christian singles accept the idea of singleness these days, but they do not accept the idea of celibate or celibacy. In 2019, a research company called the Pew Research uh, Company did a survey, and this is, the, this is what they asked. They, so they went out and they just asked people in the world, hey, um, is it okay to have sex outside of marriage? And this is, this is what they found, okay? Here, here are the numbers. 79% of religiously unaffiliated people, people who say, I have nothing to do with God, 79%, eight out of 10 said absolutely yes, no question. Sex is cool. 
They asked atheists who said, I'm not religiously unaffiliated, I'm beyond that, I am an atheist. 94% of atheists said, absolutely, if you wanna have sex outside of marriage, that's cool, no thing. And, And so here's what I wanna just point out, listen carefully. So in our culture, sex outside of marriage is normal. Sex outside of marriage is common. Sex outside of marriage is what people do. So what about Christians? This is the hard part. Um, So they asked Christians, they said, look, if the two of you are in a committed relationship, and this is important, not married, but you're in a committed, that's quote unquote, a committed relationship, is is it okay to have sex before you're married? And uh, here's the numbers. Um, Is it... Is it always acceptable? Is it sometimes acceptable? Is it, you know, that was the way it was worded. Here's what they found out. Christians, you're in a committed relationship. You're not married, but you're in a committed relationship. Sex outside of marriage, okay? 33% of Christians said yes, it's acceptable. 24 more said it's sometimes acceptable, which means that 57% of Christians said sex outside of marriage is perfectly fine. Then they asked the question, what if you're not in a committed relationship? It's just a hookup. You ready for this? 18% 18% said it's always cool, always. 32 more said sometimes that's cool. It's just 50%. 50% said ain't no problem with that. Okay, now let me, let me land right here. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to think differently, act differently, live differently. The only way we can make any difference is to be different. We should create curiosity and we should be somewhat weird and we should be seen. A number of years ago, I heard a cop who was actually preaching a sermon, it's kind of a weird thought, but anyway, this cop was preaching a sermon and he said, you know what I've noticed as I've watched society, as I've been in law enforcement, he says, society has just done this. And he just talked, and this was years ago, and certainly I would say in my lifetime, I've seen so many things change in this world that gone downhill and for the worse and it's just dropped. And, but he says, you know, that breaks my heart, but you know what breaks my heart more? is the church is just a couple of clicks above, but in parallel lines with the decline of the culture. I've never forgotten that. We're supposed to be influencing a culture to go higher, but a culture is causing us to go lower. That's not uncommon. I wanna end this message with a message that Dan started the series with just to, and I'm gonna read it, it's not gonna come up on the screen, I'm just gonna read it. I want you to listen very, very carefully. Romans 12, one and two say this. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, then you will, you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. We'll make a difference in this world only by being different in this world, but here's what I need you, I'm gonna close on this thought. All of us have made mistakes when it comes to relationships. All of us have stuff in our past we just went, well, I don't even know. I don't even know. I wanna I want close with these thoughts. God is not against you for your sin, God is for you against your sin. He's on your side. He's not not wanting to send you to hell. If he wanted to send you to hell, folks, you'd be in hell. 
He's, he's trying to invite you. He's wooing you into something better, but you're going to have to submit. You're going to have to trust. You're going to have to follow. You're going to put your eyes on him and go, you know what? I'm following him. I promise you, if you do that, you're going to be an odd duck in the eyes of people who don't know who God is and don't care who God is. The guy goes, follow me. I'll lead you someplace and it will be good. So in a moment, I'm going to invite you to stand and I'm going to pray and we're going to go into a worship. The song we're about to sing talks about God's love and his grace and his mercy. And every single one of us needs God's love and grace and mercy. He's for you. He's not out to condemn you. He's for you. But at some point, we're going to have to make our mind up. Are we going to follow him or are we going to follow the world? The world is leaning in on us really hard on these subjects. So what's it going to be? Would you please stand and let me pray and we will. uh... So Father, thank you for our time here today. And and thank you for the instruction of this word. It's hard. It's difficult. It's so weird to think this way in the world in which we live, which just tells you how deeply the world has infiltrated our thinking. God, help us to see you differently. God, help us to uh, understand and realize what you have for us. God, you, 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 your desire is so deeply to bless us, but it all has to begin with submission to you first, and then everything else follows that. If we don't get that one right, then nothing else following it will be right. So I pray for these folks, both here in the room and online. God, I pray that you just bless them with wisdom to make decisions that bless their life and not destroy and hurt their life. And God, we all need your grace. We all need your mercy. We've all screwed up. But you're the redeemer, the restorer, the rebuilder. God, you're the one that gives us hope. So we turn to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.